0: Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by The Dave Chang Show, brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right. We have a new podcast with the great chef Dave Chang. He has just opened a restaurant in Los Angeles called Major Domo that is wonderful. The first episode of this podcast is Dynamite. It's Dave and Bill Simmons talking a bit about some of the anxieties, frustrations, and excitement that goes into opening a restaurant. So please check out that podcast. That's The Dave Chang Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Not just that the MCU movies, obviously separate from the X-Men franchise, have been better than everything that came before, but also that they, I don't know if Marvel got lucky or what, but these were the right characters to make successful movies in the 21st century with. I'm Sean Fennessey,
0: editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show with some of the smartest grown adults who love comic book movies. I'm joined today by one such adult. His name is David Shoemaker. He is the art director, a writer, and the host of three different podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. They'd include the Mass Man Show, the Press Box, and Westworld Recapables. David Shoemaker, we're here on an emergency podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about Avengers Infinity
1: War. Thank you for joining me. I just woke up in the podcast studio. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't know how much of an emergency this is for me, but I'm glad to be here. It was a hell of a movie. Hell of a movie. It was
0: a 2 hour and 40 minute film that we have just emerged from on a Thursday night and I want let's get some immediate reactions coming out of this movie which is quite long and
1: full of many characters and many storylines. Did you like it? I did. I liked it a lot. Okay. I mean, I think it was very, very long. This is the first movie in that I can remember where my butt was hurting <laughs> before it was over from just sitting in a chair. Yes. Um, it is a tactile experience. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was exhausting. And I, I think we'll get into the details later. I'm not quite sure if it was emotionally exhausting. Which I think would have been like a little bit more, a a little bit. uh, If I had said that, I'd be praising it a little bit more. But um, it was, it started in the middle of a scene, in the middle of a, you know, in the middle of things. In media res, they call it. Yeah, I was going to say that, but I I knew I was going to butcher it and did not let up for a second. For the entire, I mean, for the next two hour, two and a half plus hours. Yeah, it's hard to know whether you can actually say I enjoyed something like this because there's so much
0: processing that goes on. Yeah. So, like, let's set it up a little bit for people. So we're going to talk specifically about the plot of this movie. There's been a lot of conversation about some of the characters that die. But we'll talk a little bit in more vague terms at the top of the conversation. And then maybe 20 minutes in, we'll throw up a warning sign. It'll be a spoiler zone and then you may not want to listen anymore if you haven't seen it, but go see the movie, and then you can come back and listen to the back half. David, what re- what really happens? Like, where are we in the Marvel
1: Universe when this movie picks up? Um, we are at some, at some period fairly shortly after Thor Ragnarok. Yes. At least, uh, you know, so, so close as the space-time continuum allows. Thanos is in search of uh, the Infinity Stones to stick into his Infinity Gauntlet so that he can have unlimited cosmic power and can sort of wreak his population control concepts on the entire universe as opposed to one planet at a time? Is that fair? Is that more or less the... I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. There's only one group of people that can go about
0: defeating the mad titan, the madman of titan, and that's uh, the Avengers. So every single damn Avengers in this movie. And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And the Guardians of the Galaxy who are honorary. Yeah. And some sort of tertiary... Sure. Spider-Man. Yeah. You may have heard of Spider-Man. A yeah. few other characters. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the framing of this movie. This has been a long time coming. Sure. We saw Thanos for the first time, I believe, in the f- at the stinger in the first Avengers film. He was not yet Josh Brolin, as I recall. He was just a CGI purple goatee... Figure? I don't remember if he was rolling or not, but
1: yes, he. that was when he first popped up.
0: He had no speaking lines. And there's been a lot of build towards this. This is 19 films in the making. Did it pay off? Did like this this actual yeah. storyline that we were going
1: towards make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think I I, I hadn't read a bunch of reviews uh, before seeing the movie. I wanted to go in relatively fresh. But we talked about the Tony Scott, the A.O. Scott review in the New York Times I don't fully agree with all of his his entire take, but I do agree, I guess, with the premise that like this is not a movie as we can conventionally describe a movie. There's just too much backstory. There's too many balls in the air. There's too much just craziness. But all that said... As a culmination of all the movies that came before, it's hard to imagine anything that would have been more successful than this.
0: Yeah, it feels like it would have—this it, it, was a very high bar to clear just to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different figures that you needed to account for, so many balls that you needed to raise into the air and bring to the ground. It's funny that you bring up Tony Scott's review— I found it to be an interesting existential reflection on how to deal with these movies yeah. culturally. You know, it's this is obviously probably the 10th or 12th movie of this kind that he's reviewed. And I think he started wondering, like, why? Mm-hmm. Why have we thrust ourselves into this comic book universe yeah. so headlong? I had a little bit of that feeling myself, even though I, I think I probably liked it more than Tony Scott did, mm-hmm. because there is a there's no finality. You know, there's no clarity. There's no truth. There's no stakes because... When you are dealing with something like the Infinity
1: Stones, yes, which are the MacGuffin of this movie, I'm glad you said it first because I've been overusing that phrase on the Westworld podcast. Yeah, I mean the 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 Infinity Stones, the Infinity Gauntlet, which is even more it's it's even it, it's an even easier punchline because it's a big glove like like <laughs> it is like it fits like the most traditional definition of MacGuffin, right? Yes, truly, um, and th- that's what motivates the entire plot, and then. Without giving anything away, I mean, these, the Infinity Stones are part of Marvel canon for decades or whatever. One of them is, is the Time Stone, right? And, yes. like, without – I mean, again, without giving too much away, like, it can go back and forth in time. So, the, so at that point, the stakes are – and this is honestly not the ending of the movie. I don't, I'm really not spoiling anything. But the, 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 like, what are the stakes? There's like one that's life. There's one that's time. There's one, you know, like, there's one that's literally called reality stone. Yeah, exactly. And you can just change reality. Exactly. So, it's like, so just, what are we dealing it's with? It's just, yeah, they're all, they're all, they all could conceivably be like, like, devices of retconning everything that happened in the previous scene.
0: That's exactly right. I wish it was a little more like a a Jersey Shore reality stone. You know, like that would be, (laughs) maybe it would make an interesting movie. But it's true, and it's funny because you have to do the thing that you have to do with a lot of movies like this. Not just comic book movies, but science fiction, fantasy, movies that have deep mythology that really require buy-in. If you don't buy into the Infinity Stone shtick, this movie is going to seem really dumb because it's all built around this one character's quest to do it.
1: I agree with you on an intellectual level. I I think one of the great achievements of the Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we might have talked about this the last time I was on your podcast, is that the stakes are generally pretty clear as opposed to some of the other movies in this genre broadly defined, like... I, I you can watch or I could watch a you know a Michael Bay Transformers movie and literally not know what had happened. Who's the, the bad guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people love those movies. People still line up to see the sequel So on some level, just like two and a half hours of CGI superheroes punching each other or whatever is could could be considered some level of success. Right? Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, you do have to buy in. You do have to buy in a little bit. And they and um, you know stop me if I'm getting too far ahead. But but I you know Thanos. In a lot of ways, is an incredibly successful big bad, especially given the sort of narrative handicap that he is functionally a god from outer space. Correct. They make him mortal pretty early on, or they 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 give evidence of, or, or potential evidence of his mortality pretty early on. You know, throughout the movie, he engages in fist fights more than he does in like zapping people with magic rays and that sort of stuff. So there, you know, there's a certain tangibility to it even without the stones. I mean, he's I know that the stones gave him this great power, but he was like all powerful at the beginning and seemed fairly, you know, he was he was fairly susceptible to certain forms of assault early on too. So. Does he bleed?
0: Uh, is that a, like a philosophical question? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. So one of the things that's interesting to me about that character, and I guess I actually think it's weirdly, and this may sound dumb to say, but a good Josh Brolin performance. Yeah, even though he's not on screen and he's stuck with this. Kind of cartoonish character who very quickly became a meme on the internet when this trailer hit. Um, I think Brolin is pretty good and and imbues him with some genuine humanity. And one of the reasons that the character works when it does work is he's kind of vulnerable. And he's kind of got a code that you believe in. I feel like most comic book movie villains there's a kind of um illogical evil at play that we can't really cope with
1: or the i mean we you talked to some about lord of the rings in our on our walk back from the movie theater but the sort of lord of the rings like the evil consumes you that's the motivator right and that and certainly that's not that's not the, at least that's not the entire case here he has an argument for the 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 one thing you look for in a villain the main thing is that they don't believe that they're a villain right that's the only way to make them compelling and human and and that I think feel like they got that across pretty well. I think so too. I wonder if And you're it's... right about Brolin, by the way. I don't I'm sorry to cut you off, no. but it's hard to act through twenty layers of CGI. I thought they made a really good choice because he has the voice. He has the gravelly voice to pull off a Thanos, but he didn't go he didn't like go deep into it in the way that it, he wasn't he wasn't trying to be Vin Diesel. He wasn't trying to just like fill out the you know, this deep you know, whatever. He wasn't trying to play an alien. He was actually like he had more lilt in his voice than he did in Sicario. There was a, definitely a, a performance there, in a place in a role that didn't necessarily require one, or, yeah. or you wouldn't have expected one. And and there's like a real
0: sadness in the character. I, again, I think it feels a little stupid to be positioning this this mad genocide uh, proffering alien as a, somehow sympathetic or interesting. But he has this kind of philosophy about balance in the universe and the reason that he. You know, is essentially trying to kill half of the population of the universe is mm-hmm. because he believes that people should be thriving and that there's limited resources in yeah. the world. And so he's, you know, he's hoping to kill many, many, many people mm-hmm. to save many, many, many people. And there's this idea of sacrifice for salvation, which is, you know, a fairly weighty concept. And I kind of, I, I kind of identified yeah. Now I don't identify with genocide. That's not what I'm saying. But as somebody who's like seeking balance in all things, there's it's weird to make a character like this like um thoughtful. And he is thoughtful. This isn't blowfelt. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. There's a lot of depth. I mean, I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of depth. There is enough depth Some. to carry you through the movie. Some. And that's actually been an interesting, I think an interesting evolution in a lot of
0: the Marvel movies. You know, I went back and watched. Um, the first two Avengers films, and there's not really any kind of clarity or sense around the Chitari and Loki attacking New York City, and there's not really a ton of sense around Ultron, this AI that then comes to try to
1: rule the world. Like, there's no depth to
0: any of those characters.
1: No, and you, I mean, the other thing, you, I mean, you get into in a lot in those movies, it, but superhero movies in particular, is the sort of the Batman problem, which is that the superheroes are probably the cause of the supervillains and are and, and never except in rare cases never really wrestle with that. So and this is but this was one where it was like, oh this terrible thing is happening. Thank God the Avengers are here. <laughs> yes, truly. Let's talk about the Avengers a little bit. Um who,
0: do you have an Avenger you care about? Is there a character in these never, movies?
1: Uh, as a as a as a childhood comic book fan, I was never an Avengers guy. Mm-hmm. Uh I was an X Men guy. And, and I was as well. But I but I um you know, I really appreciate the it—not just that these that the MCU movies, obviously separate from the X Men franchise, have been better than everything that came before, but also that they—I don't know if Marvel got lucky or what—but these were the right characters to make successful movies in when you know in the 21st century. With they did get really lucky, honestly. I mean, we can talk a little bit about that because this
0: wasn't—it was supposed to be X Men and Spider Man, and Spider Man's in this movie. But there's this whole long history you can actually read about it in. Um the journalist Ben Fritz's great book, The Big Picture, also yeah. called The Big Picture. But he kind of unpacks how Marvel ended up positioning Iron Man and Thor and the Hulk and Captain America as their big foursome, which in the minds of guys like us who grew up when we did, it was like, it was Wolverine and Spider-Man, I think, were kind of the the Alpha and the Omega. Sure, yeah.
1: I mean, and the, the, the characters, I mean, the, the, in the 90s, it was, I mean, there's a list of characters that aren't even in comic books barely anymore, or they're making comebacks now, but the sort of supplemental x-men characters like cable and you know bishop and gambit like those were the those are bigger stars than True. captain america back then side note we will see cable in a movie <laughs> yes.
0: in three weeks also played by josh Brolin. also played by josh big, roland in big 2018 II. for josh Rowland incredible uh, it's fascinating choice to to double up in the marvel universe because now fox is owned by disney and so inevitably at some point down the line we'll probably have a deadpool
1: avengers crossover and the, what will they do with Brolin? I thought about that a few times when he was on the screen tonight. I think you can do. I think you can do Brolin versus Brolin. I don't think it'll come to that, but okay. I think that I think that the, he's sufficiently disguised in this one. So. That's that's interesting. Um, but given the the characters that we
0: have here, you know, I know that you're a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan. Yeah. there's a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy in this movie. Sure. Um,
1: are there other people like? Do you care about the Chris Evans Captain America? Watching the movie tonight, I was taken. I, this is not an original idea, probably, but I was taken with how Chris Evans. And Chris Hemsworth, just based on when they were cast in the Marvel Universe, like they Marvel really lucked out with how capable they are at being actors. And Hemsworth, in a certain way, has it. I mean, he was a revelation in Ragnarok, but he still sort of has an easier path. He's playing a he's very much playing a role. Chris Evans is. Like, I don't know that the Marvel Universe exists without Chris Evans secretly being just like a five star actor. Like, he's very, very good at being a compelling Captain America.
0: When the movie reveals him, it's a pretty
1: fun reveal
0: and Uh it's an inevitable fight scene. There was a—and, you know, this is an opening night crowd, but there was a palpable, like, oh, shit, yes, Captain America is back, mm-hmm. which that is a thought that never crossed my mind when I was 12 years old, like, reading a comic book. I was never like, yes, Captain America. Yeah. And it's because of what you're saying, I think, Evans—and the way they positioned the character, they, have like, made him a little bit more of a—a a little bit more of a badass. You know, he's such mm-hmm. a—he's such a boy soldier yeah. that— it's difficult to give him any edge. There's a joke in Ultron where he says like, watch your language in the opening segment. So they've they've always been pretty keen about that. But yeah, I think Evans has done a great job. Hemsworth to me is um, in many ways, the heart of the movie. The movie opens on him. It's, he's a huge part of the conclusion. Um, and I totally agree. It's it's funny to think about because those are the two actors along with Robert Downey Jr. who have been most rumored to be leaving the MCU mm-hmm. at some point in the future, you know, I don't want to say what happens. Yeah, in this movie and, I yet. and I
1: don't mean to I don't mean to to downplay RDJ. It's just that we knew who he was when he got signed up. And and even and even if you were unsure if he could pull off a superhero movie, you knew it, that was the f- the first movie was Iron Man. You knew immediately that we that what we were getting and it was fantastic. I will say that if anything He's been a little bit neutered by the fact that like everybody is quippy. Yes. It's it was funny to watch him go toe to toe with Chris Pratt, particularly,
0: because Chris Pratt is kind of feasting off some of the RDJ yeah. fumes in general. Star Lord kind of
1: gets Shh. to do some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a different tone to that. To me, the weirdest one was Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange is, I don't think, not a humorless character in the comic books, but he's certainly not like quippy in the same way no. at least not the one that Doctor Strange I grew up with he has a little bit of sass from what I remember but he's very spiritual I mean he's a dick Yeah, like that's the right. thing is, he's right. like a deeply spiritual but he's also like the flip side of that is that he's you right. know not a kind person an arrogant always. doctor yeah.
0: yeah, this is really only the second time we've seen Cumberbatch in one of these movies Yeah,
1: uh, you think he works you think he fits in with some of those guys who've been around for 18 films yeah, I think that I I liked him more in his own. I mean, if only. I mean, and, th- and that can be said about a lot of the people in this. But I think it, just to make a really nerdy qualm, it's just that like, as far as suspension of disbelief goes, everything works like magic. Sort of needs to be in its own. It's in its own <laughs> vertical sort of. Yeah. Um, I'd love for the ringer to have a magic vertical. Oh, okay. you think we should launch? that? So many people would love that. I yeah. would. I
0: would really like that.
1: One of my favorite things about the MCU is that they've normalized some of the the otherworldly powers and so, I mean basically they've made they've made Norse mythology into just a planet where some powered people live pretty smart know? it's like yeah it's like alien tech is basically like the entirety of this like race of gods right and um which makes sense in a universe where like that is the definition of thanos or you know what thanos or whatever but yeah but the magic is still a little bit like that there there were several moments in the movie Where you were just, where of all of the ridiculous stuff going on, I had, you know, a moment of pause where I was just like, that seems a little bit too much for magic right now. Or like, (laughs) if he could just do that, why doesn't he do a thing right now? You know, like. Well, he's not doing coin tricks. I mean, he's got these. No, he's got lots of stuff. But then when he he would do the, when he would do his most impressive stuff, I would just just do that five times and I feel like the movie's over. It's a good point.
0: So one of the things that the movie constantly reminds you of is what's the best version of this hero? You know, the hero gets to have their moment. And there is a Doctor Strange moment in particular where he goes full Sorcerer Supreme and it gets like very psychedelic for Mm -hmm. a minute. And there was a part of me that was just like, I wish this was just, it just became this movie where it was just the psychedelic Doctor Strange movie for like 25 minutes. And it only happens for like a minute. And it's actually one of the flaws, I think, of the movie is because it has to serve so many masters. You don't really get a Black Panther moment, even though there's a lot of Black Panther in the movie and there's a mm-hmm. lot of Wakanda in the movie and those characters that we just came to fall in love with two and a half months ago. It's almost, it's
1: like a trick. You know, you get like 11 minutes with them. They yeah, get I one line. I don't know, you know, when this was filmed in relationship to Black Panther or, you know, how much they knew of the success of the movie. It did feel like the success of Black Panther, the the movie, sort of muted Black Panther, the character, because Wakanda is what got all the time. It That's was, right. it right. And it was the cast of the six most significant, five most significant characters from the movie. Yeah. Black a lot Panth- of looks for Winston Chad- Duke. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Chadwick Boseman got, you know, as, only as much as everybody else, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, almost, I felt like I almost couldn't even hear what he was saying when he first
0: came on the screen. I was like, they're kind of sh- like hustling him along there to get more of the Dora Milaje, you know Okay, he
1: had that, but I mean, he literally has a, a, his voice is, it's a different scale than most of the other male voices in the movie. And it worked really well in Black Panther because he had this off, this like off-putting sort of uh, you know tenor to his voice and that but in this it just it seemed you're right like your ears weren't accustomed to it when it came on the screen it was strange I'm gonna um, go out of my way to stand for one character
0: go for it man I'd love to hear what it is I really think that they nailed Spider-Man with Holland yeah Yeah. like I can't in this movie
1: or in general
0: I loved Homecoming I thought it was great but this actually he felt like in this movie what Spider-Man would be doing in a comic book and I was like I've kind of been waiting for that. I've been waiting for the jokey kid who is a teenager who can hang with real heroes, but you never forget that he's the youngest kid there. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff fits together so well. They did such a brilliant job of making him inextricable to Iron Man, and they really pulled that that thread through in this movie really well. I don't know. Holland is just really, really winning. It's really like, oh, man, they could just build all these movies around this kid in the future if they wanted to. Yeah.
1: I, I totally agree. I think um, I think he was uh, he's definitely the best Spider Man. Yes, of the various Spider Men. All due respect to those who came before him. Yes, um, but you're right. I mean, and I think that it, it, there's also a degree to which it's. Uh, I know that Spider Man is not neatly part of the MCU, um, but. But certainly the success of the MCU has allowed Spider-Man to be let Spider-Man be Spider-Man again, I guess, whatever. I mean, you don't – the Sam Raimi movies are favorites of mine. But even Tobey Maguire, there's a little bit where you're casting him and and you're sort of plotting out the future to him being the biggest action star in America. Like, you got to cast somebody based on – like, you can't let them be a scrawny 15-year-old forever. Tom Holland could keep doing that for five more movies. I think he's going to you know? look like that for a while. Yeah, it's yeah, um, very true. And And – you know, it, it may, it's it's a lot, it just, it fits in perfectly. And it's like you said, standing next to Spider-Man. I mean, next to Iron Man. Um, I, I was really impressed with, I, I mean, you could almost feel like a reality to that relationship that like Robert Downey Jr. is just like, like he had to sign off on, at some level, he had to sign off on spending that much time on screen with Tom Holland, as opposed to the various other people that were around in ad, in addition to his massive um profit participation and huge salary do you yeah. think he had casting approval of Tom Holland? I don't maybe maybe not the casting of Tom Holland but but there's I'm sure there's a degree to which like he had to he he was just like had to sign off on who he was spending two months of set time with because it was a pretty small crew. Absolutely. Is there anybody you want to you want to ride for before we talk about maybe what didn't work? Yeah, I mean, I thought that they did a good job of giving everybody either the pro wrestling, the pro wrestling, I have to say this, of course, the pro wrestling <laughs> phrase is is uh get your stuff in. Even if you're going to lose or if you're even if you're not the main point of the match, you get, you know, you get 3 minutes in the middle of the match to like do your big move and do your flex to the crowd. Yeah. They let everybody get their stuff in and and I thought I found I was surprised with how I I didn't feel like anybody, with the exception of Black Panther, I mean, of Chadwick Boseman, there was nobody who I desperately wanted to see more of coming out of the movie. Everybody sort of got their part. Um, it was a really small uh, part, but I thought, I mean, every, every part in this was relatively small. I thought the way they did, the, what they did with the Hulk was, it's, it's really weird that they've done more with the Hulk, sort of in Ragnarok and now Infinity War, then they didn't all the time prior to that. Yeah, when he had two movies. Yeah, they've yeah. somehow made him a more interesting character. Yeah, it's funny. I thought for
0: sure that what they were going to do after Ragnarok was pivot towards like that Planet Hulk storyline sure. that is very famous. And that may still happen, but this kind of this changes some of the dynamics of that. And yeah, he's, um, one, Ruffalo's great and he's a, he's a more sensible Hulk because he makes Banner like such kind of a simp. Yeah. And that's really effective. And yeah, the way that they manage to show us and then not show us that character is really cool. Um, it's funny, you were making the wrestling analogy and I, there was a, literally a moment when I was watching Infinity War where I thought this is kind of like a RVD Sabu match in the late '90s, where like they gotta hit all their spots, you <laughs> yeah, know. And everything if they don't had to hit happen. their spots, then like somehow you didn't get your money's worth.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how you want to pivot into this. Like this stuff, we're not as high on in the movie, but the, uh, but there was definitely the the pro wrestling vibe of like, why has that guy been lying prone outside the ring for exactly <laughs> the right amount of time it took for him to come in and make the save? Yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's a character during a very important uh, showdown
0: with Thanos who has a s- sincere relationship to Thanos. Who shows up and then like just disappears and then we just never see again? Yeah. Um, and you know that's the problem when you when you have to serve twenty five characters is like you can just lose a thread. Things seem very convenient. How did they get to the places they're going? Yeah. If you try to do any logical storytelling math, you're going to lose your breath pretty quickly. Sure. What else? What else? There was no bueno for you. Um, you want to shit on Don Cheadle for ten minutes? No, he was fine.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I'll say I'll say one thing. One more positive thing before we get to the bad stuff. And and it's not about it's not about Cheetle. Um I love Don Cheadle for the record. I this is sort of my borderline, but I was I was going through all of the moments I remember, and there were so many moments. Like we said, it was a churn. I mean, it was nonstop. Um weirdly the most if I had to sum up the whole movie in one scene, and this is not spoilery, um, there's a scene where Rocket Raccoon <laughs> or where, let, let's <laughs> Those are words you said out loud. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene where where Thor and Rocket Raccoon are trying to pull off the they're basically trying to turn on a star, right? <laughs> yep. Um and normal stuff. Yeah, and for and and for Thor, Thor's part of it is literally an like a godly feat of strength. And then he's like and Rocket Raccoon is like piloting a, a spacecraft, and Thor is just like, "Give it more, Rocket," or whatever. <laughs> and and there's a scene where I mean, and just in that in a quick cut, uh, the CGI Raccoon, voiced by Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. is doing this very movie thing where he's pushing the the throttle like the video game controllers as hard as he can, um, in hopes of. Making the jets go faster, as if this is a thing. Now, if anyone listening to this has tried to make their car go faster by <laughs> stomping as hard as they can, they understand that this is not a real thing that happens. But it's a very movie thing. It's not specific to this, but that was the that was the that was symbolic of the of the whole movie for better or worse, better and worse. And that the entire thing was this contrivance of trying to make like this crazy impractical space shit tangible you know and I mean it's the, the the idea that if we push a little bit harder it'll make it seem more real and it'll make it matter more you I th- know
0: I think that's one of the struggles with the movie in general is there is it's there's an nor- enormous amount of this in space there's yeah. a lot of planet hopping mm-hmm. we, we go to places that we've never heard of and we're meant to
1: believe that there's something very important there and they have to go there and acquire something in Vormir. I think when you when they put up titles, location titles, on the bottom third of the screen, they should be obligated to let you know whether or not you've been here before and where. Yes, previously seen on. Yeah, yeah. previously in, like, Thor the Dark World. <laughs> Just let me know. Like, maybe I can draw that, you know, make that connection.
0: Yeah, I was reminded of the movie Thor colon... The Dark World, when Thor is explaining to Rocket Raccoon that his mother was killed by a dark elf. Yeah. Um, I think some of us had worked hard to forget Thor the Dark World.
1: My favorite parts of the Thor mythology are when he's just sort of irreverent but full of centuries of backstory. And that's, I think that, that that was passable for me just as, you know, in that mode. What do you think about um, Vision and Scarlet Witch? <laughs> that's exactly where I was hoping you would go. I think that I mean I was I said this to you before we started recording as a comic book fan growing up I was never a Vision and the Scarlet Witch fan probably because that was like the closest thing to a romance arc that Marvel had in those years um, and that wasn't really my cup of tea but also wasn't a big Avengers guy and they weren't even the most interesting of in the Avengers and you know Scarlet Witch did have some kind of eccentricity to her power set but again is this sort of like slightly too all powerful to be deeply interesting to me and Vision sort of is was, was just seems sort of like a Justice League character that was shoehorned into the Marvel universe, and all that said, I I really enjoyed both the performances in this movie um, of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, but it was but it was asking too much for the for the emotional core of the movie to revolve around their relationship, which I guess is a slight spoiler to say that it did. Um, because there just wasn't enough there wasn't enough there.
0: Yeah, we got a little bit of it basically in the final 20 minutes of Age of Ultron and mm-hmm. that's really all or maybe it's Civil War, I can't recall which one where they focus on that, but there's not They're a lot part of, of
1: Ultron, right? Well, and then yes. they they were together in Civil War but yeah, it's all, it's all a blur now.
0: And and maybe that's part of the issue is you're trying to remember like how all these stories storylines fit together but you know Paul Bettany for m- most of these movies was merely Jarvis the voice from the Iron Man films mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Olsen came in fairly late to the game and we just haven't spent a lot of time with them and you know Vision has an infinity stone in his head that's how he gets to exist and so he's a very important character and Thanos is in pursuit of him and yeah there's just there's a there's enough time spent there and there's enough pivoting around those two characters that um just inevitably makes it feel less
1: um propulsive, I guess, because I just don't really want to be with them. I'm like, take me back to Spider-Man. They, I don't want to be with them, and there's no, like I said, no knock on those characters. Elizabeth Olsen, I thought, was much better than I was expecting. Not that I thought she, she was going to be She's actually bad. very good in the movie. She made, yeah. a, she made incredible use out of the li- limited screen time she was given. She does. I mean, this is just fantasy booking or whatever, but when they laid out the plans for the MCU to get to Infinity War... Eight years ago, or whenever it was, it would have been great if they had had the foresight just to cast. They knew how little they were going to, how little screen time they were going to give these two. They should have just cast a couple, like Ooh. like just cast Eva Mendes and Ryan Gosling. Oh, I love it because then when they're like talking about how much they love each other, you you that you think that they do. <laughs> that is, there there could be some
0: more. There is some stunt casting in this movie that I want to talk about. Okay, I'm gonna. This is a little spoilery, so if you're a little allergic to this. Avoid it, but um, Peter Dinklage is in this movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the many. I told you before. I haven't gone to a lot of like first, like the very first screening of a giant movie in a long time. Thankfully, in Los Angeles, listening this, they have like like a screening every five minutes yes. for the first three hours. So you know the seven o'clock screening, which is when it starts on the West Coast, is sold out or close to it. But like seven fifteen, you can get like the exact seat that you want. So you, I skip like the line. I skip the. But but I also missed the big moment. This was one of this was my first experience in a long time of seeing well, any movie with like massive amounts of applause for character appearances. But the first time I can remember applause in a Marvel movie, and again, this is just my experience since I think Spider-Man 2, this like Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And um and yeah, Dinklage was a huge was a huge applause. Got a bunch of applause and a, they and a, laugh, a laugh and an applause. And, and the only and it was only hampered by the fact that it was unexpected. And the reveal was a little bit. I mean, he was in he was in darkness. I, it was sort of came over the crowd in a wave because it wasn't really no one. We didn't all immediately register him.
0: Yeah, he plays. I think i tree the dwarf king. I don't. I'm I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, and I apologize to anybody who is voraciously he's consuming cannon. He's not cannon. a dwarf. He's a. I mean, he is a dwarf. In- he's a dwarf king, and he obviously Peter Dinklage is a dwarf, but he is a, a giant figure. He yeah. is, he is t- five, ten times the size of Thor. Yeah. And so there's something, and he also has had his hands removed. Which is just brilliant. And there, so it's a very funny, and he's a, he's a, a king of this, this star, and he also is a weapons maker, and he, he plays a huge, a very important role in the movie, but there's something very unnerving about it. Also, a former star of the X-Men movies, and if we want to keep going back to the actors who are double dipping here, you know, he was once upon a time a uh, uh, Bolivar Trask, I think he played. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I would say that the, it was funny to see Dinklage, but I was kind of like, this does this is a lot. Like I'm still trying to remember who Mantis is and you're going to make me look at Tyrion <laughs> Lannister as well. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, is there anything else you, you were bummed out by?
1: I think overall the integration of all the different IPs <laughs> uh went really well. I was a little bit underwhelmed by the Guardians of the Galaxy, especially by Peter Quill. I'm sure this will turn into will pivot into a Chris Wars podcast in the third segment, but um but I, he was definitely like the loser in the Chris Wars tonight for me. I think that there is something to be said about what that
0: means for him in the future. But we'll get into some more spoilery, where is this series going stuff in the next segment. But before that, let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and around the house. When I'm on the go, I love using my Google Assistant to find what's nearby. So if I'm in the mood for sushi, maybe it's sugarfish, I can say, Hey Google, find sugarfish nearby. Download the Google Assistant today. Today's episode of The Big Picture is also brought to you by Shudder. Brought to you by the AMC Networks, Shudder is not only a premium streaming video service, but an experience unlike any other. Created for fans of all degrees of thrillers, suspense, and horror, Shudder is home to the largest and fastest-growing human-curated selection of high-quality spine-tingling and provocative films, TV series, and originals. And there's always something new and unexpected for Shudder members to explore. I am a member of Shudder, and I am often exploring on there as a horror movie addict. New on Shudder is a limited-event series born to kill. Sam is embarking on his first romance with fellow teenager Chrissy, who's moved to the area after family turmoil of her own. But things are about to take a much darker turn. Beneath the surface of his charismatic persona, Sam is experiencing more than the usual teenage angst, a psychopathic urge to kill. His family and friends have no idea what he is capable of, only his victims know the Chilling truth, and they're not talking anymore. Shutter is available for 4 dollars or $49.99 with an annual membership, but our listeners can get a free month by entering promo code Big Picture at checkout. Go to Shutter.com today and use promo code Big Picture at checkout to see the best collection of thrillers, suspense, and horror available to stream anywhere. We are back on the big picture with David Shoemaker, my dwarf king. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to spoil the shit out of the movie a, a little bit. I don't, I'm not totally sure that this movie is spoilable, and that's part of the problem. Thanos, as we mentioned in the first segment, is all-powerful. Yeah. As you might imagine, he gets his hands on all
1: them infinity stones. Yeah. There are six openings in the infinity gauntlet. That's right. Each meant to hold a specific stone. Yes. Um... There, you know that is that is a uh, a Chekhov's gun for every knuckle and (laughs) one on the back of the hand. They like he's gonna get all the stones. I think that's safe to assume.
0: Truly, he so he acquires the stones, and when he does, there's there's uh, some some all out mayhem. In the meantime, you know there's a lot of battle scenes. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of opportunities for people to get what they want. The movie interestingly opens with a couple of notable deaths, and I thought when these deaths happened. That we were gonna get like a truly superhero genocidal
1: movie and we sort of do but not really well I mean they did it we, we, we're just we're just saying things now Let's right just this, say is, stuff. The, this yeah. is the spoiler I,
0: I've thrown up so many warnings that the people yeah. of
1: earth needs chill so Loki dies in the first like five <laughs> minutes of the movie yes um, the great Tom Hiddleston who is really wonderful in all these movies yeah so
0: pour out a little bit for him
1: thought it was a really smart move because of all of the rumors that people were going to die at least at like five minutes in, you're like, well, maybe that's all the deaths we're talking about. Yes. you know, like maybe that's it. And ha- Heimdall then, as well. Idris Elba
0: kicks the bucket right off the right off the bat.
1: Yeah, which um, which sucks only because like of all of the franchises, I mean, Thor's got the biggest variance from like floor to ceiling, but it was trending up though. Yeah, but yeah, and I would watch. I mean, I could watch a you know a ten movie series of just like the goings on in Asgard yes. if it's if it's well done. You very know? very much so. And it could have, they could have gone a lot. I mean, they could have been like the, like the Downton Abbey, just set in Asgard or something like that. Like, and it would have been totally watchable. There's so many good actors that they threw in there. You know? That's true. Although so many of them are dead now. Rene Russo is dead. Yeah. Anthony yeah. Hopkins so, is right. dead. Kate Blanchett is dead. And now Loki and, is dead. Yes, but then, and you know, in the Avengers universe, everybody's dead now too. So um, not everybody. We'll, I guess we'll get to. We'll that. We'll get to that. I sort of wish that they had killed more people in Act One. Yes, I, I thought so too. I wish that 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 Nebula, Karen Gillan, had died. Like she's a good example. Who I actually really love her as an actor, but she's like she's one of those characters that like Marvel seems to be insisting upon in a way that, and probably because she's got the Thanos connection. But all up until now, I'm just like, why, why is she coming back? Like why? Like I don't understand. Let's unpack. Um
0: Nebula and Gamora and a little bit of the Thanos stuff. So they are both the adopted
1: daughters, essentially, of Thanos. Yeah, and, and Nebula he was introduced as one of his sort of uh, harbinger, super soldier, four horsemen characters, right? Yes. Of which there are
0: many in this movie, too, which I, I think to try to explain who all those characters are would be very confusing and difficult. But, yes, and Nebula and Gamora have been bound in the two Guardians movies, and they both hate Thanos – and resent and are angered and when, by the way they were raised by. Remind him.
1: me when Nebula like again to go wrestling turned babyface like it was fairly recently, right? Was it I think it was in was the it... back half of Guardians 2. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. Um
0: but there was always that latent kind of I love you even though we're mortal enemies even in the first Guardians oh, yeah, yeah. film. yeah,
1: between Nebula and yeah, and yeah and Gamora sure, but I but it was just sort of like I don't I didn't need her. I don't I didn't need her on the side of the angels. Like she was I agree. I mean it's
0: just one more thing where there's it's. I completely agree about Karen Gillan too. It's like maybe make Karen Gillan just like look like a human being in this movie. She's like a beautiful, great actress, and yeah. you have her covered in like um, robot skin. But yeah, so essentially, Gamora is aware of where one of the stones is, and um, she has to pay for that. And Nebula, you think is going to pay for it, and then Gamora pays for it, and that's really Gamora is forced to be is sacrificed, and that's the only other significant death through the first two-plus hours of the movie. And I think that's right. And that's very strange. There's also
1: but no— But I wish that we had just, like, given— I mean, we'll get to the ending, I guess. Yeah. But given that, like, many people were going to die, theoretically, mm-hmm. I, I think they could have just streamlined the movie down to, like, the ten people you cared about and just mowed down all the rest. I think that there's this sort of— I talk about expectations on all of my podcasts a lot, but there's this sort of— your your mind is sort of rolling with like like the the expectations that you have as a comic book movie consumer but also what you know about like the movie industry and all the articles about the Marvel MCU and the future of it and stuff like that that i would have forgiven them the sort of contrivance of like all of the actors who are out of contract just get shot or just get destroyed in one scene almost right yes they could have they could have cut out a lot of the forced exchanges that
0: we're talking about though there's essentially two major storylines happening at once. There's one in Wakanda in the in the third act of the film, and then mm-hmm. there, there's one I believe on Titan, which is Thanos's home, ravaged home. Yes, and you know, so Spider Man and Iron Man and Doctor Strange are on Titan, and almost every other uh, character is in Wakanda. And I don't, I mean, let's just like say what happens and then talk about what that means. Um, Thanos gets the sixth stone. He defeats the people who are on Titan. After actually, I think what's one of the more thrilling battle scenes that Marvel's put together, where the five Avengers are sort of teamed up to try to remove the gauntlet from his hand, there's a lot of clever comic book stuff going on there where all the characters get to use their powers against this giant purple goatee. Sure,
1: that was really, really well done, really well choreographed. And when, when uh Star Lord takes a bow for the game plan, I felt like that was an appropriate time to sort of salute the the direction, the I'm sure you deal with this all the time, but one of the sort of subtle like mind fucks of the whole thing is like I don't know if if I should be apl- who I should be applauding along the line. Uh-huh. And, and it could just be like, you know, a twenty five year old sitting at like you know, industrial lights and magic or whoever's doing this stuff now that just did all of the heavy lifting. I don't know. It feels like it. I'm always trying to unpack what's real
0: and what's CGI and what's previs and what was created on the spot. That sequence I think is effective because it feels like a comic book and it's right to feel like a comic book. You know, not, you don't always want that feeling. There's a, there's a handful of evil villain characters who are completely CGI who kind of look bad in the movie as they are. There often are in these movies, but in that case it works. Anyhow, Thanos gets off a of Titan he goes to Wakanda boom boom he he essentially wins and in winning that indicates that half of the population of every planet in the universe will be instantaneously eradicated because he wills it so in an effort to create that balance that we talked about in the first segment yeah and so literal characters just start evaporating into dust they' they're almost like the 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 figures. In Back to the Future, disappearing from the photo, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of as, as if they never existed. And um, they take it pretty far. A lot of characters go. It's more than half, I counted. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think, well, it happens to Bucky Barnes first. And I was like, okay, maybe Bucky's dying for some reason that I don't quite understand. And then when you realize that Thanos' plan is going through, yeah, I was like,
1: this doesn't matter. These aren't these stakes aren't real. These characters are coming back. You know what? Talking about that. The by the way, total interjection here, apropos of nothing. Proxima Midnight was the female, uh, whatever uh, SWAT team member for Thanos. Whatever we were trying to figure out who voiced her. It was Carrie Coon who did the voice. (laughs) Oh, I swear to God, when the movie ended, I walked out of the theater and I turned to, (laughs) to David and I said,
0: "Was that?" Tavi Gevinson? <laughs> the founder of
1: It's great that it was the it, it was the the basically the the mascot of the ringer.com was actually the answer to that. My he, apologies to Miles Surrey, yeah. who stands
0: <laughs> so hard for Carrie Coon. Carrie Coon voices a CGI baddie. Um
1: that, and that character dies along with many others. Yes. I will say just to get the, like my one complaint, my like my my formal complaint out of the way, it's a lot of people were expecting Spider-Man to die. Yep. My my argument from the first rumors about who, you know, people dying in this movie was that if Spider-Man dies, then I call bullshit on all of it mm-hmm. because Kevin Feige does not have control over Spider-Man to kill him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Spider-Man does; he goes. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, along with half of the people, and and I'll and I'll, to be fair, even if this is one half of the story, and that there will be some people returning to life. They did a very compelling job of deciding who to kill or who to, you know, off. Did they, though? See, I'll take issue with that. Every time that there were, like, two people that were, like, like running to embrace and one of them, like, fell to pieces, disappeared into ash, I was sort of surprised by the one who ended up going, or oftentimes I was, and sometimes it was both of them, and that was interesting, too. Kind of messed with your expectations there a little bit. Um, But it immediately
0: felt like, similar to your Spider-Man thought, there's a moment where... Black Panther vanishes. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, there's just no way. Show me the time stone now so we can go back to the past and undo all of this instantaneously. My
1: mind went there immediately. Yes. And that's not great. I did spend a minute while other people were dying. I was, like, not paying real attention because I was wondering. I was trying to scroll through my memory to see if they had already scheduled a Black Panther 2 and, like, how (laughs) how many pictures Chadwick Boseman had signed on for. Because how, like, what a... Amazing flex that would have been to like for I mean just for the MCU in general to like do Black Panther throw him in this movie for you know ten minutes and then just be like we're done hell of a negotiating tactic yeah the finest Um, no I mean I think separate I, I agree with you obviously you you were throwing my own point against me but but I mean as a as a prompt as a setup for whatever comes next. Presumably only the surviving Avengers, uh, et cetera, are going to be this, you know, the characters in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting potpourri of, of you know, leftovers that we have now. Let, let me see if you can help me answer a
0: question. Okay. I have a 14-year-old sister. Uh-huh. She's really getting into the MCU. Right. She's right at that age where Chris Evans seems interesting to her, as as he's interesting to you and I. She's been sending me text messages, and here's what she wants. Sean, have you seen Avengers Infinity War yet? (laughs) She's asked me this three times. Every time I've said no. She asked me today. I said, I'm seeing it tonight. She said, you're so lucky, but remember to do what I asked you to do, which is don't tell me who dies, but tell me how many people die. (laughs) What? This is legitimately what she asked me. Is she in like a, a betting pool? That was my guess. I was like, I did not realize you were a high stakes gambler. Or maybe gambler. she's just
1: setting, setting up her own, just like preparing herself, stealing herself for the level of trauma she's going to endure. I
0: should have known when she moved to Macau on her own at 14 uh, that she, was, <laughs> she had a lot of money riding on whether Downey makes it to the next movie. But So I actually don't know coming out of this movie what
1: I'm supposed to tell her because like 25
0: characters just disappear.
1: Yeah. What do I do? Just tell her a lot and ask her how much she really wants to know. You have to okay. go in on her. But by the way, this is hilarious though, because like as a four, you have a 14 year old sister. I do. So for this is one of these great things that we all experience in life when we reach a certain age where like the young people that we know, our relatives or whatever, just really couldn't give a shit about what we do. Like, like the, your parents are much more impressed with what you do than your sister. And then finally, finally, after hearing, all Like hearing your parents gloat about your career for years and years, your sister's finally like, wait, Sean gets to see all these movies a week early. Finally, here's a thing that affects, that that I care about. I don't think she and thinks I'm and, cool, but she knows that I have information that is The valuable. best part is that you, you didn't see the movie a week early <laughs> and you true. can't really answer her question.
0: <laughs> it's true. That in the past, I had seen some of these films early and I think she got excited. I saw Black Panther a couple weeks early and she, she thought I was... Like the president, she was yeah. like, "You have the most power of any man that could live." <laughs> sure. And uh, in this case, that's not true. Um, I don't. I'm not sure where we're gonna go from here. I worry that I'm. My well, prediction is too
1: true. That everybody's gonna come back. Then i will just come back, and then we'll. Here's go Here's how this in works time. in comic books. If I if our, for if I can just just really overly simplify all of my memories from all of the the cataclysmic storylines where you know mutants lose their powers and the and you know the government arrests all of the superpowered individuals. and even more broadly when just you know Marvel and DC decide to just retcon and re, just or reboot and start over with eight superheroes or whatever. generally it's like everybody gets taken away or everybody gets killed or everybody d- gets disappeared in some sense. and then they bring back like all but eight. Eventually over the span of the next year, we kind of get back to where we were, at least in terms of headliners. Mm-hmm. Right. And there'll be some just functional people that don't come back or they're saving them for something down the road or whatever. I think that this is going to be both a me- like meaningless in the sense that, I mean, did you run through all of the names of people of the headliners that that are that didn't make it out of the movie? It was I mean, literally half of the people that you care about are gone.
0: Yes. Which is will never hold.
1: Right. Under any circumstances. But so, it's interesting who they chose because there were a lot of people, like I said, like we've talked about, Spider-Man and Black Panther were, were it was bullshit. They're, yes. They are bullshitting They us. are the future of the MCU, so they're not going But anywhere. then there are people like Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. who are rumored to be interested in doing other things with their time mm-hmm. who are still there. Fascinating. Wait, right? is Robert Downey Jr. – did he die? I don't even remember. Now. I can't recall.
0: This is the problem with doing this, (laughs) with doing an ending like this. And also, you know, we should say that the movie basically ends there. It is a very much a a Hunger Games um, part one interruption where the the movie essentially ends with Thanos sitting at peace with a small smirk on his face. And then there's a
1: a stinger, which we can talk about. There's only one stinger. They make us sit through the whole end credits. To finish what I was saying earlier, I think that because I got I talked myself out of that statement, but I mean, uh, away from it, but. I think that it's clear that all of these people are going to come back, or many of them are going to come back, but they'll use this contrivance to keep a couple of them dead. I agree with you. I, I Or do it'll agree just with you. be a misdirection where it'll be like, everybody's back, but then Captain America's dead. Who are you most willing to sacrifice?
0: Give me two people.
1: Weirdly, like, the two people who se- presumably are actually dead, Loki and Gamora, are two people who I don't want to say goodbye to in the MCU. I know. They bring a lot to their their movies. With pretty limited, like, I, it's, I don't feel like Hiddleston can't fit this into his schedule I agree he's done a lot of work he's been in a lot of these movies but he's not he's not a movie star per se and no. he's hes
0: perfect for this role
1: and judging only from like still photos on on you know on comic book blogs he seems to have the most fun at comic-con as a, compared to everybody else I
0: saw him on Kimmel the other night and he was lapping it up he was there with five other cast members yeah. and he was he was in all his splendor um
1: but who can I say goodbye to I mean uh, of the people who presume who who pseudo died at the end of the movie or yeah. just in general, uh, just in general,
0: let's say we get because we're gonna get Avengers four next summer, and people actually are gonna die in that one because contracts are up.
1: And who are you ready to say goodbye to i I'll go through I'll go through the 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 top listing and just say yes or no. Robert downey jr i i I could do without Robert Downey jr. But I think it's unnecessary to do without that, Robert Downey Jr. I'm sure I've said this to you before in private conversations. It is just for the stability of the MCU, it's worth paying him $50 million a year to, have to be filmed on his iPhone on his couch at home and CGI that into the armor, and it's worth it. You have said that to me before, and it's something I agree with. I think he actually
0: makes scenes in this movie work even though what you said earlier is very true as well which is that it's everybody's got jokes so his jokes aren't as good anymore yeah. but he's still... There is something central
1: to what he's doing. I, we got through the first part of the podcast without mentioning his tracksuit, which I think we should, I don't know, <laughs> his sort of camo hoodie. It was, it was a camo hoodie, like futuristic, but weirdly bell-bottomed tracksuit. You think uh, that was his
0: choice? You think he got to make I, I that s- call? I spent a
1: lot of the movie thinking about it every time he was on the screen.
0: It's, um, it's really something. It's 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 honestly rich guy elite. You know, that's yeah, rich it was. guy dressing like it however was. If he that wants. Was a,
1: if that was a choice... By RDJ, I, I, we can never be without him. Shout out to him. Uh, Spider Tom Holland we need to keep. Chadwick Boseman we need to keep. I could do without ScarJo. Mm-hmm. That said, because of the amount of screen time she's gotten over the years and because of my the fact that I like her as an actor, she can do more with limited screen time than just about anybody else? Yes. She, she, she makes this character work. Um, they never build anything
0: around her, though, which is too bad. I mean, it's there's been a long conversation about whether there should be a Black Widow movie. It's funny that we've now had Atomic Blonde and Red Sparrow basically be the Black Widow movie yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. And
1: it's kind of sucked out some of the juice from that. But it, and, it, and, and, and Scarlett Johansson has made has made genre films, certainly not like spy thriller, but has made, or she has, but like has made, but has made enough genre films that you don't feel like you need this in the way that you did when she was casted. If you want to see that movie, you can see Lucy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to save, I'm going to save Chris Evans for the end. I can do without Cumberbatch, at least in the Avengers, at least in, you know, I, I could watch more of those movies, but like I said, do without him in the movie. Um, I like Anthony Mackie, but you can obviously do without Falcon. Yep. I like Mark Ruffalo, but I can do without Thor. I mean, without without Hulk, I cannot do without Thor. It, I worry that we're going to be a, without Thor next summer. I, that might be true. There was one scene in the movie between him and Rocket where he kind of said goodbye.
0: Yeah. There's the, the the single biggest achievement of these this series, and you alluded to this earlier, is they just like made Thor work. Yeah. And they they took them. Three
1: Thor movies and three Avengers movies yeah. and a lot
0: of crossovers, but they just really made that character
1: interesting. Yeah, you got to find the right level of sort of self-awareness and irreverence for all of these movies to work, and that was the most surprising one that they found the tune. Um, Gamora we said goodbye to, although that makes me sad. Uh, Nebula I can do without... Uh, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, but this, but today, tonight's Peter Quill I could live without. I, but I wanted them to keep making those movies. So There'll keep, be another one. Keep him alive. Yep. Uh, I could never wish death on Dave Bautista, so Jack stays. <laughs> you know my feelings on Loki. Um, like I said, uh, Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen were given. They were, you know. Au revoir. See See you guys later. I can do without them. Now, Chris Evans is the interesting one. Because I'd sort of made my peace with him being done. You know he ain't done at the end of this movie. He's not done at the end, and not just that. But I get why he had kind of long hair and a beard. But it was interesting to go for like a bit for like the a new look. I mean, he's been sporting this for a while. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to have like this kind of late model Captain America, and then pulling the plug to then pull the plug. Like I every he did very little in this movie except, well, in a lot of ways, be Captain America. He just sort of like was a walking. Symbol, you know, or icon. In this movie, he does not wear the stars and stripes. He does not he has have a his black shield star on his chest. Yeah, but yeah.
0: he he's just not in, He's not the classical version of that.
1: No, and and the whole thing. And he did. And he was the one character that left me wanting more. Like I was like, I could see. I, I want to see Falcon and Black Widow and Captain America as like a black ops just squad taking down. I believe Karen's they're in the Scotland. Middle East or whatever. But yeah, yeah they open in Scotland. And it's like, what are these guys doing in Scotland? Yeah. I mean, so that I I, I don't want to say goodbye to him, but he's the one person that I convince myself that it's just like, I just don't think Chris Evans, like I like Chris Evans enough at this point that I wish him well in whatever he wants to do with his life. And if that means not playing Captain America, then I guess that's fine. If you live in New York, go see Lobby Hero. He's wonderful in that play. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Okay. What I mean is, there anybody that you is there anybody that you are just ready to get rid of? Or Can't get, do without Pepper Potts. <sighs> no, um, no. I, it, it's funny because that's one of those comic book things that you see that like you never like. Every time they've put Spider Man and Mary Jane, every time they've actually gotten married, they've had to retcon it and get rid of it because they lose their storytelling. Like the opening, one of the early scenes was. Tony Stark and Pepper Potts, like, coming back from a jog and embracing and talking about have, starting a family. And I was like, I could not care less about any of this.
0: Me too. I was also kind of like, what are the odds that Tony Stark and Pepper Potts are just taking a jog around Central Park?
1: Really? Tony Stark with like his chest, uh, with, yeah. his chest, yeah, his medallion in, like full view of everybody. It's just ridiculous. This guy's a billionaire
0: arms dealer who's also a superhero. He's out for a morning jog with his girlfriend. Nonsense. Anyhow, I think there's a couple more people we wouldn't want to do without. We probably not a Koye, Shuri. Some of the key characters
1: from the Black Panther universe. Yeah, I think the second the second tier characters are in some ways almost more uh, less expendable than the than some of the headliners because yeah. you can like build a story around. Tony Stark dies, but someone else takes over the job or yes. whatever. But, but you want these kind of peripherals to stick around and entertain us. And especially with how close we are to, to Black Panther. Like, I, I don't want any of them to leave. No, me neither. I,
0: let's, let's wrap this up by talking a little bit about the stinger and kind of what's to come. The, the movie has a very long
1: credit sequence, which everyone comfortably sat through. There was not even like no one got up. No one got. No up. one got up. I Which mean, is... even when you see these movies other times, you're just. I mean, the other Marvel movies, there's always going to be like 15 people who are like, I either need to pee or it's like, you know, my friend made me come and I don't care, so I'm leaving now or whatever. I mean, there there nobody moved. Two hours and 39 minutes of Avengers and people were like, I
0: need more, so they all stayed because we've trained the culture to stay, and that is routinely fascinating to me. And this stinger was Nick Fury. And Maria Hill, mm-hmm. Kobe Smolders, and uh, Sam Jackson driving in a car. Essentially, at the moment when Thanos' plan comes into action, so a car kind of spins out of the left side of the the left lane. I don't
1: even remember where we are with Nick Fury at this
0: point. I, I guess he's alive. I don't know. He's alive he's and lo- he's dead. And but, he's, but he's
1: but he's still running Shield, or is he? Are they just doing like a, some sort of back hit, back end like black ops thing? I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't know. Yeah.
0: And so we we see Fury and we see uh, Maria Hill and. Then they are almost in a car accident, and then we start seeing people disappearing in New York City, and then they disappear, but before they do, Fury reaches into the back seat of his car, and he pulls out some sort of transponder, and he sends a signal of some kind, and just as the signal goes through, he vanishes, mm-hmm. the signal hits th- the ground, the camera pans down to the the transponder, and we see the iconography of Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. which is a movie that is coming out <laughs> next year, <laughs> starring Brie Larson. Um that is set in the 90s. And so that actually had my, my brain churning a little bit. Um, I believe Captain Marvel comes before the fourth Avengers film.
1: I'm looking at the list right now. It's Infinity War, which is a movie we're discussing. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp is later this year. Captain Marvel is, I think, early next year. And the next summer is Untitled Avengers film, which is presumed, which was once referred to as Infinity War Part Two. Okay, so that is coming after Captain Marvel. Yes. So then,
0: inevitably, Captain Marvel will be a significant, if not the most significant, character in combating Thanos, mm-hmm. because Cap- Captain Marvel is also a space story of, of sure. a sort.
1: This is the 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 next year for Marvel for the MCU is. Uh, I mean, this is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled: is making you think you give a shit about Captain Marvel. And and sorry. All due respect to Carol Danvers or Captain Marvel, uh, the, give to give a shit about Ant Man. A, a year is being tent-pulled by uh, Avenger by Infinity War on two ends, and then being kept aloft by Captain Marvel and Ant Man. It's incredible. We talk about like how how crazy it was that Iron Man and Captain America and you know Thor became the figureheads of the Marvel universe on on screen, but like man, Captain Marvel and Ant-Man, who like liter- literally neither of them had comic books for the first like six years of the MCU. It's a, it's the power of what they've built
0: over the last 10 years. It was notable in the um, opening credits when they showed the Marvel Studios insignia. The I.O. in Studios became a 10. I don't know if you picked up yeah, on that. I did. And, you know, we are at this decade moment where... These movies are in the fabric of our lives, and if even if it's Captain Marvel and Ant Man, they are they are a huge part of movie going culture. Yeah, the
1: crowd erupted into cheers at the when the Captain Marvel tease came on the screen, and again at that point you're just punching and you're cheering or whatever. It's a, they're talking about a new movie. I was excited too, but I mean, are we excited about Captain Marvel the character? Are we excited about Brie Larson? Are we excited about um, you know a top flight female superhero. Maybe they were just like, it's over! I'm excited! <laughs> yeah. That's totally true. Um, it was... I mean, I'm excited for all of those reasons, mm-hmm. but none of them, like, overwhelmingly so. Yeah, ho- I either. hope it'll be a really good movie. I hope that all of the Marvel movies have been so consistently f- pretty good. Um, lately, they've been better than that. Um, and, you know, you hope that... I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a fun movie to watch one way or the other. I... I I'm kind of excited post-Ragnarok, post-Black Panther, even post-Infinity War that they will, you know, that the stakes are high here. Not just, um, yeah, I mean, the the, the the run of movies that we're on, but also really making a, a female superhero work. Um, if they fail, you know, after DC's had success with Wonder Woman, you know, that's going to be pretty pretty ostentatious. Um and, they, and it's not even just that. They have to make it work because if this doesn't work, then we don't give a shit about the next Avengers movie.
0: It's very true. It's unique what they've been able to accomplish there. And... Even though I think that this is sort of a step back as far as the quality of the
1: films from the last two Marvel movies goes. I mean, um, Infinity War was a step back compared to Black Panther and Ragnarok. I think so. Just a hard, well, I mean, listen, the first movie, was, oh, you were, you're in the middle of a sentence.
0: No, no, I, my point is just I I've, I enjoyed the movie. I continue to be invested in going to see all these other movies, which is basically the most important thing for Marvel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think Ragnarok and particularly Black Panther opened our eyes as cultural critics and thinkers and people who are sort of like, I can have the chocolate and the peanut butter here. Like, mm-hmm. I, something can be, for the most part, a great film and also just kind of an involving, ongoing, serialized story that I'm, I've just agreed as part of my life to be invested in. Yeah. And this is not so much that.
1: Yes. I I, I agree with that. I think that all of the the first first phase of, of the MCU were kind of graded on a curve in the same way that, Basically every superhero movie that came before was great on a curve. I mean, people had very fond memories of like the early Singer X Men movies that were all trash, and <laughs> and uh, and I say, I say it's like I, I love them so much, and but the, that they were able to pull it off. Right? Um, there were certainly more like eye-opening examples. The first Superman, you know, Tim Burton Batman, even the early Sam Raimi Spider Man movies were just like mind-blowing because they didn't just pull it off. They did something really successfully, but. The first Avengers movie was graded on a curve, and I think that it it was a fantastic movie. But even now, when you look back on it and praise it, a lot of your criteria is they pulled it off, right? Ultron was just a little bit of a a mess, and you said you told me you watched it recently, and it was better than you remembered. Um, But it it was – you know, it didn't get the benefit of being the first time out.
0: You You heard it
1: here first, guys. They pulled it off, yeah, David shoemaker but I think the, the ringer the, this i mean this this movie was they pulled it off in such a mind blowingly entertaining but also like high wire way i mean the the fact that I was engaged with this movie in every scene and there at no point was I just like, wait what's what's happening now, or like what's this guy doing or who, who is this person I mean it was in it was crazy how well how how difficult this was and how kind of seamlessly they pulled it off and that's that's like the greatest praise you could possibly give it. I think that that's a great place to wrap up. This movie is uniquely coherent for something that <laughs> makes no
0: sense Yeah. David, thank you so much for coming and breaking this down with me at 11pm. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: you so much for having me This was a blast. Excelsior Thanks again
0: for listening to this week's episode of The Big Picture. Thank you to David Shoemaker. If you want more Avengers, trust me when you go to TheRinger.com. You will find more, including a piece that I'm writing about whatever happened to the stakes in these superhero movies, uh, along along with myriad other things by Andrew Godadaro, Miles Surrey, Kate Hallowell, and a whole bunch of Ringer staffers. Come back next week where we'll have another episode. Thanks again. Today's episode of The Big Picture has been brought to you by Shudder. Brought to you by AMC Networks, Shudder is not only a premium streaming video service, but an experience unlike any other. Created for fans of all degrees of thriller, suspense, and horror, Shudder is home to the largest and fastest-growing selection of high-quality Spine Tingling And Provocative Films TV Series And Originals New On Shudder Is a limited event series Born to Kill Sam is embarking On his first romance With fellow teenager Chrissy Who's moved to the area After family turmoil Of her own But things are about To take a much darker turn Beneath the surface Of his charismatic persona Sam is experiencing More than the usual Teenage angst A psychopathic urge To kill His family and friends Have no idea What he is capable of Only his victims Know the chilling truth And they're not Talking anymore Shudder is available For $4.99 a month or $49.99 with an annual membership, but our listeners can get a free month by entering promo code BIGPICTURE at checkout. So go to Shudder.com today to see the best collection of thrillers, suspense, and horror available to stream anywhere.